One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone, this is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thanks once again for joining us. I'm Alfie Reynolds and I'm in studio and I've got Steve Jones with me. How are you, Steve? Stephen Jones, if you don't mind. Mr. Stephen Mr. Jones? Stephen Jones, yeah, if Mr. You prefer. Stephen Jones. I still haven't got a title, mm. but um, I don't want to confuse people because I've always been Stephen in the paper and to my mother. Stephen. Stephen, yeah. And you want to be Stephen on the ruck? Yes, please. Okay. So I, I put my foot down. Okay, so that is Mr. Sir Stephen Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Alan Dimmock as well. How are you, Dims? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Are you fine with Dims or would you like a... Uh... You call me whatever you want. Okay, all right. Perfect. Uh, Steve, how have you been? This is the first time that you've been back on the ruck post-World Cup. Had a couple of... Bit of rest, recovered, recuperated following the tournament? Yes, I, I have. But I think Al, Al would... Uh, Agree, anyone. We were out there for a long length of time. It was tough. It was hard going. Uh, and 2,100 kickoffs when you're doing 1,000 words on the whistle are not so good. But um, I've read uh, Rugby World's, well, I've read Rugby World's last three editions, and that's, that's boosted me a bit because they were so good, Al. And yeah, as you Thank know you. me, if I, if I uh, thought they were hopeless, I'd say so. They were absolutely excellent, and you're really taking it on. And that gave me a bit of a boost as well when I read them. Uh, read them the other day so all's well it's not the new season but uh lots lots not well with the game but at least uh, we're rattling on yeah and lots as always for us to get into on this episode we're going to look back on all the premiership action it was the derby weekend for the gallagher premiership we'll also chat about the start of the premiership women's rugby season the first ever game broadcast live on tnt sports we'll also name our god or goddess of the week but first up myself and steve caught up with wayne barnes the now former referee he of course retired following the Rugby World Cup final. So all the other chat in the podcast to come in a while. But first up, it's our chat with Wayne Barnes. Well, Wayne, great to see you. Thanks for coming into the studio. How are you, first of all? And also, has it sunk in yet that you are no longer a referee? What's it been like for you watching the last few rounds of the Premiership, having come back from the World Cup and not being involved? Well, there's a big assumption there, first of all, Alfie, and thanks for um, having me in, is that I've watched the last few rounds of the Premiership. <laughs> um, I have literally switched off from all rugby, um, which has been... A, it feels like a weight's been lifted, you know, that particularly after the last eight, nine weeks of being away in France, a, an amazing tournament to be a part of, an amazing team to be part of, you know, with a 25-match official but that scrutiny that kind of need to be ready uh, you know having been prepared for th- uh, six uh, six o'clock or three o'clock or nine o'clock in in Paris um, for the game to make sure everything's done every I's dotted every T crossed um, does add a, add a pressure to you so to be able to come home and think nothing about rugby and enjoy some things that people would take for granted a pint with their mates on a saturday night a glass of wine with your with your wife on a friday evening with your uh, with your meal take the kids to some football matches to go and watch them do their training you know all of those things which a lot of people kind of do take for granted and i've been able to over the last three weeks kind of fill my boots with so massively enjoying retirement <laughs> um still obviously very busy with a day job at squire pattern boggs yeah um but enjoying some time away from rugby Wayne you've you've joined the dark side by becoming an author um, 
<laughs> well, it is, we are the dark side, really, aren't we? Uh, throwing the book. What was um, what was behind you? Did you always want to do a book? And did you always want to set something down? Or is it just something that's come a little bit more recently when there was stuff that you really, really wanted to say? It's going to sound contradictory, Steve. Um, as someone who actually doesn't like being in the headlines, um, to write a book and then to come on a podcast kind of does suggest that I, I do enjoy mm. it. But So I never thought I'd write a book. I never thought um, anyone would be interested, if I'm honest. But then having a discussion with um, some publishers and um, and they're saying people really would like to know some of those stories. Mm. You've been involved in some of the, the great games of rugby, you know, go back to 2009 and that Grand Slam game with Ireland. You talk about some controversial games, you know, the 100-minute game in Paris, sending off Dylan Hartley, those types of moments. They're like, people would want to know what was happening in your mind and around those games. So, that, of course, um, we'd, lo- we'd like to uh, put that down in writing. And... Actually, the first chapter, uh, Polly did a draft of my wife. Um, mm. She was like, oh, why, why don't we do it? Why don't we have a go together? But we quickly learned, like teaching one of your loved ones how to drive a car, um, it's probably best <laughs> that you get someone else to do it because after many yeah. an evening sitting down trying to kind of put it down in writing, it was like, you write it yourself. Then I'm like, no, I'm not very good at writing. You bloody write it. So we decided um, we would get um, a ghostwriter to mm-hmm. help us and Benders, who is actually absolutely brilliant, um, really well respected. Mm-hmm. We, I sat down with him and he kind of got my dry humour. He kind of got refereeing a little bit as well. So it was mm-hmm. great to sit down and to reminisce, to put everything down in writing. And now when I'm old and doddery in a few years' time, I've got some memories written down and I've got something to pass on to the kids and say, here you go, mate. When you've been in, you don't like being in the news for anything. I mean, referees usually say that if they're not in the news, then they've done well. I just think that was slightly unfair because when you see, a, a, these days, in my opinion, when you see a game refereed bloody brilliantly and we saw the loads of those in the World Cup, it's only fair that th- those of us who's, who've been critical of referees sometimes actually says, good grief, that was good. I mean, when you come to people like yourself and, and Ben and the, World, and the World Cup, one of the great ironies of all this fuss and stick and these threats, etc., is that it was, in my opinion, easily the best refereed World Cup there's ever been. Uh, that, that actually means uh, a lot. And, and I, when I say I don't want to be mentioned... I really don't mind never being in, in press, never being, you know, online, written about, you know, Wayne Barnes had a good game. But what, I, what I've always said I, I like and I like, uh, appreciate is when people who know how complex and difficult our games is, whether that's my peers, my refereeing peers, mm-hmm. people have been around a game like you, Steve, for, you know, oh, hundreds of years, um, <laughs> yeah. kind of just pull you to the side or over a, a glass of wine, just say, mm-hmm. look, really enjoyed the way that you added value to that game now that means a great deal i don't need to be popular i don't need to be popular um with the general public you know if they appreciate what i've done great you know if they see how difficult our role is great um but it doesn't need to be written down but i appreciate when people like you just you know drop me a message to say thought that was on the money today isn't it the prime irony that the biggest stick that referees have got is in the world cup which is refereed better than anyone's ever dreamt of well i think first of all we've worked more and more together not just like myself ben yakko um you know mm. the, the guys who did the knockout games matthew Raynow, um mm. angus gardner we, we've all worked together longer and longer you know so that group's been together for at least four years probably six or eight with ben and yakko so you're going to get kind of closer you're going to get um, more consistency all those days of the southern hemisphere refereeing different to the northern mm. hemisphere I, I think are you know those myths have been kind of exploded mm. um, but what we've also done and we saw it in the world cup final we saw it in the quarter final is that teams of officials are working together yeah. you wrote a piece about this when luke and i worked together down in bath. Uh, down in bath yeah. and just saying you know yeah. those interactions are really important but what we saw in the world cup final and the quarter final is i had Four um, four English officials around me. So myself in the final was Carl Dixon, Tom Foley in, in the box, Matt Carley yeah. on the one touchline, Luke Pierce uh, on the sideline. So all of a sudden we're having conversations that we've had time and time again um, in the Premiership. So you prepare well for them, just mm. like a, a nine and ten, you know, nods and winks, which you you don't have to prepare for. You sure. you've kind of seen each other work so often. So because we've moved that forward, because we work more and more as a team. 
those bits that you don't notice, the, those kind of little, yeah, that, that's a good decision. Mm-hmm. No, you don't need to refu- refer, refer that Barnsley. Um, we'll just give that a move on. All of those little bits which adds continuity to the game are really important. And the more we work on that kind of team of, of officials working together, the better we will become and the less you'll see us. Let's just stay, stay on that because I, I know from previous chats that y- y- you think that team refereeing is a good thing. And, and uh, I can think of um, examples where the referees come up from New Zealand, he's at a Portuguese TJ and he's a, who can't speak English very well and there's a, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that seems to me ridiculous. Was the fact that the, there was an English team at the, at the World Cup final, was that... Was that First of all, it was because those guys didn't have referee well and deserved to be out, out there. But was that because of you and other guys saying, hey, t- come on, boys, team refereeing? Or, or, w- w- which was it? So the first World Cup, so the fifth World Cup I've been involved in, and um, this was the first World Cup lead up to the quarterfinals. I got a tap on the shoulder saying, you're going to be refereeing um, the quarterfinal between Ireland and New Zealand. Who do you want with you? First time ever. Right. Um, and I said, well, these are the people I work with regularly. I'd like to, them to be part of my team. And to be fair to um, to Joel Jute and World Rugby, um, they said, very happy for that. They work well with you. Um, that they're, they're a perfect combination for you. Mm. But that's a first time in five World Cups. And that's been because of the push and push of the referees, the, the, the guys like we've mentioned, you know, yeah. myself, Ben, Yako, saying we work better when we work with people we work with regularly. So Ben sure. often works with his um, TMO, Brendan Pickerel. Yeah. You know, Yako will work with Marius Yonka. People they do the URC with or Super Rugby with. And there's no coincidence that we feel more relaxed. We feel more at home when we've got people around us who will challenge us, but also know our style of refereeing. Uh, I, I totally agree with, with, with that. You just, um, I, I want to get your views on team refereeing, refereeing appointments, and also the way that the refer that the the laws are framed because in in the book you, you you say you know whatever something like whatever world rugby whatever way they're doing it it isn't right so so I'd like to come to that but it's very difficult to not to bring up the 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 the, the horrible uh, aftermath with 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 threats threats to to your life to your family etc and I have to say that. Um, having read about it and heard that, heard, spoken to you about it and seen it in all the papers, for me, doesn't diminish one one tiny bit the anger one feels, and 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 the idea that rugby is not actually all the time the sport that we think it is. Now, I, I don't even have to ask you and and uh, what it's been like for your for your family and all that. People are saying they know your address and everything. But these lunatics, uh, um, Wayne, you've been talking about, um, and not only you, but loads of people who've been in, in, in the entertainment world, etc., have been talking about, hang on, there must be something that can be done. And we were talking earlier, you and I, and you, you're saying that there is. And can you just outline what that would be? Yeah, I think you're right to point out this isn't just about referees. Mm-hmm. This is, we saw during the World Cup, you know, there was some vile sense of players, you know, Tom Curry, Cobus Reinach, you know, we, we heard examples of that. To coaches, um, we know that some of the coaches were heavily abused, some of the administrators as well. We all know that people disagree with us. When, when, you, when you have an opinion like you do or when you make decisions like I have to do, people will disagree with them. And we accept that. That's what's great about sport is that there are different opinions. Now with social media, people are allowed to share those you know, difference of opinions. But what's not acceptable is when people start threatening, threatening violence and then threatening families. It's just mm. like, it's ridiculous. It's, it's a line which is so far across. It's unbelievable. And so what I want to happen and what I want to try and help change is that people understand there are consequences. You, you can't just make threats um, without knowing that there will be consequences. Mm. And World Rugby has been really strong on this um, during the World Cup and since the World Cup as it started. They've engaged with um, kind of uh, social media experts, you know, who can identify people's identity. They can mm. identify um, where, where they live um, and then pass on that information um, to prosecuting authorities. So there are live investigations at the moment, not just in the UK, but in New Zealand, in Australia, in France and South Africa, where no. someone has made threats against, whether it be a match official, whether it be a coach, whether it be a player, you know, physical threats, we are going to harm you or your family. 
And th- that organisation who's working with World Rugby have been able to say, we can identify this person to this jurisdiction and this you know, u- user domain. So we can say where this, um, this person lives. They're now engaging with the prosecution authorities. So in the UK, it would be the, uh, the Crown Prosecution Service. That would be the same across all of those other jurisdictions and saying, we think this meets the threshold of when it becomes um, not just um, disagreement. This is abuse or this is yeah. threat. We would suggest that you now go and look at prosecuting that individual. So that individual um, who's made those threats may get a knock on the door from the local police soon to say, come and explain yourself. Now, I think that concentrates the mind. I really do think it is. Now, I think we can take that a step further as well. And this is why currently I'm speaking with some of um, the the, um, kind of uh, some members of parliament and also some of the lords. And I'm going into the lords in the next couple of weeks to see if we can take this a step further. There is a new online bill around uh, making sure that social media um, kind of uh, companies do... Um, do better so they do make sure that those kind of um, comments are taken down but also make it harder for that individual um, to keep making those comments but what I'd like to take a step further is to make it almost that you have to when you join a a Twitter or X or when you join an Instagram that you have to be identifiable so there's so many websites that you join on you have to put in your you know your national insurance uh, number or um, your passport number well why don't we do that for social media numbers so if you decide then that you're going to write something really stupid and really threatening then we can find out who you are um, and the prosecuting authority can say that's a step too far um, and and then the consequences that follow, depending on how um, severe or how serious or how real those threats are, is whether or not, you know, you get a fine, um, a, you know, a community kind of sentence, or even, you know, if they're, if they're awful, mm-hmm. you know, you know, custodial sentences should never be ruled out. I, and and, and, and I tell you one thing that strikes me is um, it's three weeks since the World Cup now, and um, it is only now when we're settling down to look at some of the play and some of the individuals, some of the play, some of the refereeing, uh, how good it was, um, s- some of the crowds. And at the time, during when the tournament was on, we were still talking about referees' interpretations and Ben did this and that, did Ben did that. So, I, I, honestly, there there are so many people, and we're talking uh, in terms of abuse, we're talking in the immediate aftermath of Ugo Monia being ab- racially yeah. abused. Yeah. It, it, and, and uh, I mean, I just think it's time to, time to strike back. It's time yeah. to strike back. But, so. but I think you make a, a great point as well, Steve, is we both love this game, bloody yeah. love it, love it yeah. a bit. And you were there for those two quarterfinals yeah. um, up in um, up in Paris. Oh my goodness, were they good! Like that Saturday night, like between uh, Ireland and New Zealand. You came off that match and you listened to the you know to the noise. You listened to yeah. you know the passion of all the fans. And that last phase and um, went from seventy six minutes and the, and the ball went out of play on eighty two. So six minutes of non stop rugby with a final passage of thirty uh, six kind of um, phases. And you're like, this is what's great about rugby. And I thought it can't get any better. And then I turned on Ben's game on the Sunday to watch South Africa versus um, France. I'm like. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I think it's just got better. <laughs> and you had, you know, those end-to-end tries. And you're like, this is what's great about yeah, rugby. And when, and when we get it right, and we get it right quite a lot, you know. Yeah. You were there for the um, for the Ireland-France game in yeah. the Six Nations. That game was just electric. Unbelievable. Um, we, we saw Unbelievable. The, the three test series down in Ireland and New Zealand last summer. And again, they were unbelievable sure. matches. All games that you like. When this game gets it right, it is so. We've good. had two great Euro finals. One, it, one refereed by you, and then and and is it Jacko? One by Jacko, yeah, 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 with the assistance of uh, Johnny Sexton. But um, <laughs> but, but again, like there are games over the last twelve months that that have really shone a light on how good this game can be, and sure. it's everyone working together, coaches, players, and um, you know, and refs, all just trying to make sure that we've got this amazing spectacle. So it's it's really interesting to hear you say, you know, you sit back three weeks later and watch some of those. games games again i couldn't agree with you more and speaking of the game itself wayne i wanted to ask you is it harder to referee now than it ever has been what's your view on it as an official it's not a game that you can referee on your own um so this idea you know that oh you know get rid of technology you know tell it tell the assistant refs to shell up it's just not possible the game's too quick Mm. you know you look at some of the you know the the lovely you know kind of uh, pieces of play where someone like uh, Richie Moanga will crossfield kick to Will Jordan 
all of a sudden the ball's gone 60 metres and I've got to get there in less than a second. You know, Now, I know I'm quick. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's where you need your assistant referees helping. You know, little, you know, little kind of um, you know, knock-ons when the ball goes into the corner, is the foot in touch, is it not? All of those things that you can't, can't see. It was great when you, we used to watch rugby special in the you know, early 80s, late 90s and you had one camera from the halfway line. But that's not what we got. 41 cameras at the, um, at the World Cup. So we've, we've, got to, we've got to work out a way of making sure that the game keeps continuity, keeps flow. You know, that's not getting every single decision right. You know, and I, I, I believe in that. It's getting the big stuff right. But you can't do that on your own. And that's why that team of four is so, so important, Alfie. And specifically the ruck and the scrum, that always seems to be the areas of the game that I think from a fan's perspective, from a media perspective, is harder to interpret it, in terms of where they are at the moment and for the officials. Is it... Can we do more to make it easier for them to, to be able to paint that picture and understand what's going on? If you take the scrums, scrums in a World Cup final, not one scrum went on the floor. You know, So you have this uh, amazing kind of contest between two of the most fantastic scrummaging teams in, in the world. So when they're, when they're coached right, when there's a, a good buy-in from players, I think the scrum is a wonderful platform. You know, and, and Steve will know uh, my good friend and my coach Phil Keith Roach mm. if I even suggested that the scrum was taken out of the game he would have me in a headlock pretty mm. quickly and rightfully so because it is what makes our game kind of unique and it is you know a great opportunity to have eight players tied into a real kind of um, you know close proximity so we get some great attack, attacking play and we saw some wonderful tries off first phase so I, I love the scrum we've just got to um, make sure that we 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 don't see too many on the on the on the floor. We don't see too many reset, and that's why during the World Cup we had Mike Cron, the ex um, All Black coach, helping us, putting pressure on teams to say, you know, this is what we're discussing. So and I thought the scrums in the World Cup were generally pretty good. It was one of the big big positives of the of the World Cup. And just come in, come in there. There's 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 one thing I, that I I don't like and I don't get. That is the dominant scrum. When you started in the Forest of Dean, <laughs> and some one team was in the scrum started rumbling forward made two three yards what would they have said if you said i want to play the play play it i want to see the play the ball why can't you dominate the scrum and go 10 yards for a pushover try yeah i i think it's a good point i think it's two points actually first of all you know a legally dominant scrum should be rewarded Okay, so someone comes, goes forward, and someone decides I'm not going to go backwards anymore. I'm going to chuck this on the floor. Um, then they should be rewarded, and that might be by playing advantage. So we can see if they, you know, score trying mm. in the corner. First of all, second thing is just because a team goes forward doesn't mean that um, that they should get a, a penalty. So if a team wants to go backwards, mm. you know, and try and hold in and hold in, same as you mm. do as a more, okay. okay. then you don't automatically get a penalty. But as soon as that. Uh, that defending team who's under pressure stands up or goes on the floor or mm. runs around, that's when referees should look to penalise it. Okay. Um, and we, you know, we've seen, unfortunately for England, two World Cups where, you know, the scrum has been the turning point. You know, mm. the World Cup final and the World Cup semi-final where our, our scrum had penalties against them which were turning points in the game. Obviously, you, you said, you, you, the other thing you mentioned was, was, was it break the ruck and the break, ruck, break yeah. down? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the... The, the best teams in the world referee the, the breakdown for you because um, they you take that go back to that New Zealand Ireland game the amount of kind of players who are just about to go and try and you know poach the ball or jack the ball and the attacker takes um, takes that defender away I, I think um, was really impressive so a referee can mm. almost step back and allow that game to um, kind of just happen the, the one thing that I I would like to see is a real emphasis on all benefit of doubt going to the attack. So you don't get attacking entries when they might be attacking entries. You don't get off feet when it might be off feet. It's not a penalty for holding on unless the player is clearly holding on. Because if not, teams are, are petrified of playing because they'll then just hoof the ball in the air. What we, what we should be saying is to turn the ball over or to reward a penalty to the defence, you have to be squeaky clean in the def- in defence and the attack have to have got something so wrong. Because... Hmm. The best games are the games that have flow and have continuity, and that's why all of those three games I mentioned about the you know, Irish, New Zealand, back mm. in July '22 against the French, against the um, the Kiwis in the in the quarterfinal, they're all like 40, 42, 47 minute ball in play, and 
when we go to a stadium, they're the best games. They're the games that don't stop. You don't have reset scrums. You don't have too many TMO interactions. What you get is edge-of-the-seat stuff, and you're like, you, you, you literally can't put it down. You can't press pause on the TV. You can't um, jump up and get a pint. It's like, oh, I'm so engrossed in this game, and that's because the game doesn't stop. But, but if 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 um, how many times in your career when the the, the guys coming in are, are unbelievably clever, almost cancelling each other out, have you said, do we really need to have jackals in rugby? What if they all stay in their, stay on their feet? No one goes for the ball. I think it, it's really hard. You look back, and I've done this recently. I've gone back and looked at games in like oh seven or um, in the lead up to this World Cup. And the game's different, so it's really hard to imagine refereeing now yeah. what it was like then. But I look at some of the the, the great jacklers, you know, the Pococks, the Armitages, um, you know, those type of players, the Curries who are around now. And I'm like, what would our game look like without that? Mm. But what mm. what I want to do, what I I think we could do, and what I think World Rugby could do by just slightly changing, is to make sure that you only get the ball turned over when you're really legal and when the, the right. attack's got something wrong because then you would get more continuity now, now a great bit of skill from you know a, a Tom Curry who gets gets there first beats the attack and tries and turns the ball over we should reward we right. should say you've done really well there mate but you've got to be on your feet and you've got to be squeaky clean you've got to come off the Do ball you. because the attack should get that benefit um, but it shouldn't just be putting your hands on the ball it shouldn't just be like fingertips trying to lift it it should be I'm really trying to get this ball to another because some of the best attacks are still from broken play. You know, Kiwis were the best at it, weren't they? Um, yeah. Three, four years ago when they get it, get it into the hands of their fullback. They're still pretty impressive it when you know Bowden Barrett gets his hands on the ball. Broken play, unstructured, and that often comes from a quick turnover from like a surveyor. Sure. You know, and so I, I think that is an integral part of our game at the moment. I don't know what that would look like if we got rid of the jackal. Mm-hmm. Um, but like anything, if if people, coaches and Players saying, we think the jackal should be removed. Well, let's have a look at it. Let's trial it. Let's go to one of our trial centres and see what that could do to the game. Um, Because sometimes we forget about what the unintended consequences are. And and maybe we would see 60, 70 phases of uncontested play. Is that that what we want? So that's where I always say, before we make a jump into the unknown, let's just try it and see we know what the unforeseen consequences are. um, Some of the things that really annoy people still... I'd just like your opinion on them. Why, when you've awarded a line-out to the teams who walk 30 yards away to do a line-out call, to do their line-out call? Because they're doing more than a line-out call. They're having a breather and, and everything. Why can't you say, line-out's there, form the line-out, throw the, put the ball in? Back to that point around the best games having continuity. So I agree with you, by the way, Steve. I think any way that we can put momentum into um, a game, I think we should look at. Well, I've often said and I've said this with coaches and players, stop asking the referee to make more and more decisions. So, let's, so we've got a shot clock for the kick now. But why not, why not do that with line-outs? So ball goes into touch, up on the big screen goes a 20-second clock. You can go and do your huddle, but if the ball's not in within 20 seconds, tell you what, the opposition are getting a free kick and we're, we're off again. So I think we should look at ways of um, encouraging that speed up. As long as, you know, Player, you know, you have, don't have a player down being, you know, yeah, treated sure, no, for a sure, bad injury. Sure. So, player welfare still at the forefront of everything we do. Um, but that idea of how do we get that kind of fatigue into the game because that's when it becomes exciting. So, what, what I about, couldn't agree with you more on that, Steve. What, what about um, um, box kicking? I mean, uh, when when the ball is coming back down, down the down the ruck, there's a pantomime where the the, 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 the scrum up puts his postman there. He's as as a look round, and the ball's coming out. He's still looking round. Then he's got he's down there for it, and you know there's going to be a box kick, which is boring anyway. Can we not go back to hand, hands on is out? If he puts his hands on it, the ball is out, and also, can we start the five seconds when the ball is ready to be played? Can we start start the five seconds then? I think you, me, and you should go on a roadshow, Steve. Something about how we improve this game because I couldn't agree with you more. End of World Cups is a is a great um, time to reflect and look at how our game looks. I don't think it should just be referees saying this is how the game's going to be played. I think it should be Absolutely. refs, coaches, administrators, players, all sitting there saying, right, okay, what do we want our game to look like? Um, and really interesting that I was um, in a meeting or oh, 12 months ago with all the owners and chief execs of leagues, and they're all saying we need more flow, we need more yeah. continuity. 
And that could be an easy one to solve. And why does it need to be five seconds, Steve? Why, why not three? Three. Um, and <laughs> yeah. again, if we yeah. if we know that it's you know going to be turned over, yeah. players will change behaviour. But we need buy-in from everyone then. Wayne, thanks for coming to talk to us. Um, I was going to ask you, um, will you stay involved in the game? But actually... If for that last half hour, it looks like you might be a little bit involved here and there. <laughs> I, I, I'm massively passionate about it. It's um, know, it's great to always great to speak to you about it because, I, like, I think we we share that same passion. What my involvement is, I'm not quite sure yet, but um, I'm definitely going to be an advocate of match officials, not just um, you know rugby match officials across you know all sports because we need to humanise referees. We need to tell yeah. people how difficult a job is, and we need to tell people how bloody passionate we are about it too. I know what involvement it's going to be. The Steve Jones, Wayne Barnes Roadshow, I think, <laughs> from uh, <laughs> what, what we spoke about here. Get your tickets. Get your tickets soon. Wayne, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for, for coming in. We really appreciate it. And is it now, is it still just the focus? Family time, putting your feet up, the day job, and, and then worry about involvement in rugby down the line? Most definitely, yeah. Straight across to the office now, and then back to pick up the kids after school. Ah, sound, sounds good. Great to see you, Wayne. Appreciate you coming in. Next up, myself, Stephen Allen, will look back on the Derby weekend in the Gallagher Premiership. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, thanks once again to Wayne Barnes. Great to have him in the studio and, and chatting about all that. Moving on to... The Premiership and our review of the Premiership. And unfortunately, Steve Allen, we can't get into the results this weekend without mentioning what happened and what transpired and started to come across on Sunday evening of what happened to Ugo Monia following the match at Sandy Park. He received racist abuse. He put it on his social media. He also pointed out that those around were not exactly quick or didn't at all come to his defence or in support of him. Steve, it's a shame that we have to talk about it, but we do have to talk about it. Of course we do. And um, it, it, it really, uh, one, one thing that the only thing that's reassuring about it is these things are extremely rare, but that doesn't do Ugo Monia or, any, or anyone else racially abused any good at all. It's uh, what, comforting also was the fact that within seconds of it appearing, Ugo putting it on his, uh, on his uh, Twitter, that the support was just off the page immediately been the same on on radio uh tv i've seen it and it's been all, all around the place so it is a horrible thing to happen to him the guy's got the the guy's gone from rugby for all time uh, he will be he will be identified and he should never come back and we've just been speaking to wayne barnes about abuse and different types of abuse in the game and Exeter have launched an official investigation and you would hope that as you say Steve they will come down very very hard once they identify who it was yeah and and Prem Rugby and the RFU have, have come out right away and said that they're you know will will support uh, anyone looking into that Exeter are looking into it I suppose the thing you've got to ask yourself as well is just generally publicly like can you bleep me here is it possible to put a bleep on me because what the are people thinking doing this in 2023 like absolute madness yeah, and you know, however few people do it, it's still incredibly disheartening to hear. I hope all the support possible rallies round. And I agree with Steve. I mean, the name of Wayne Barnes's book is throwing throwing the throwing the book. Mm-hmm. I hope that that book squashes whoever this person is that did it. Absolutely abhorrent, and just hard to believe that it's happening in 2023. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. idiot. And it's hard, really, off the back of that to then segue into a 
chat about the games, but there was action. There was a derby weekend in the Gallagher Premiership. First of all, thoughts on the derby weekend? Well, just generally, it's on the one hand, you'd say manufactured fun always mm. always grates a little bit but it's interesting I was listening to a podcast the other day with um, Bill Simmons and, and the writer Malcolm Gladwell and they were talking about the idea of being a if you were a tsar, a tsar of all sports what you do and there was a thing happening in the NBA where they sort of mid-season created this mini tournament within the league where it was very similar to this where they tried to create a vibe of this mini competition and it'll go to a finals and it, it you know adds a, sort of a competition within a competition and what they were talking about is that there's often in professional sport there's just too little variation you know it's the same again and again and again and again I uh, agree with them and the point that they made is I'll laud anyone that's trying something so instead of just status quo and, and cracking on, at least giving something a go, try to shake some things up. You know, some of it is entirely manufactured. Some of these derbies, you're hard pushed to call it a derby. I wouldn't say it's a traditional one where fans are ringing it and going, if we're going to win any game, it's going to be this one. 200 miles away. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But, you know, giving something a go. <laughs> the uh, I think the Newcastle Newcastle Sale derby, is, it's almost like, you know, we, they used to say... Uh, the North begin, begins at Watford Junction or wherever you used to say, <laughs> Watford Gap, because... They're all southerners to me, Steve. <laughs> Absolutely. But that is a fair old way. I mean, you could, but on, you could probably walk from Bath to Bristol in about two days, but I think a derby is someone where you should walk to. But look, they had to try something, and, and, and on a rather different note... It feels really thin, the Premiership this year, where there's only five teams in it. It feels it, only five games in it. It does feel thin. Maybe I'll get used to it. Maybe others will join next year or whatever. But it does feel thin. What I would say though on the flow to the league this year is I, Steve, feel like it almost has more to it because we don't have a team that has a rest week each week. And I know the re- the way we've ended up reaching that conclusion with London Irish Wasps and Worcester going out of business is a terrible situation which we wouldn't have got to. But actually, I feel this year because there isn't a team that has a bye week every single week, the league actually flows better for me in a way. Mm. I almost feel like I'm a little bit more engaged in it because of that. Look, they've got to find a way of boosting the league and if that's by declaring that uh, there's no there's no minimum standards for the for the team that finishes in the championship this year, they should do it. You can't have a 10 club league. It's too small, way too small, doesn't engage enough and on the days when they say there's two Friday games and one Sunday game, the big sporting occasion of the year is going to have one game. And that is not something that's going to put rugby back on the rails. It's all well and good saying we'd like it to be this, but we've got to be realistic about the the state of the clubs at the moment. You know, we're reading reports of teams someone making, else being someone else, you know, yeah, being late with payments for players. You know, it's not like the the sport is currently awash with finances. We you know we can talk an awful lot about the fact that there is just the market is flooded with players at the moment that you can pick up just because there are fewer teams at the top. And, you know, for those that made a good, decent living and now are having to scrape by a, a lot more and, you know, we can talk about the nature of that and what a shame it is, but also we've got to be realist- realistic about the strength of the team at the moment. Would any of these teams coming up, fitting them in for a place, we got two more teams in, for example, are they going to get battered every single week? If it, we'd done that last season, then Jersey would have got promoted and then gone instantly out of business. You know, unless some mad level of sponsorship came in out of nowhere, and I, I don't know, it's, I, I don't know how you square this circle because there are people out there that are even at the big party and are having to cut their cloth accordingly to make it through a season. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to say that everyone's in rude health and we've got twelve teams that are fantastic and the level of competition is supreme. It's not quite the state of things at the moment. And we saw last week, last Friday, I think it was, that the championship clubs rejected the RFU's Premiership 2 suggestions as yeah, well. Yeah, and that's a really interesting one. Steve, I was wondering about your insight on that one, actually, the, the championship clubs rejecting the idea of Prem 2. What would have happened with Jersey had they been allowed is that had they been guaranteed a promotion, they would have had considerable funding, which was almost all laid down. Now, when the... Championship clubs then said, no, hang on, you've got to win the championship to be promoted. That's one of the main reasons why we lost Jersey. Uh, I'm afraid that the championship clubs are as as bad as anyone in the lack of vision 
they want that's my the, take on it as well. They just, want the top team to go up every year. Well, sometimes that doesn't work. And uh, the top, the team, if they want relegation, well, that relegation team is always going to win it. And 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 all, I think all that the um, Premiership are saying is that look, if you come up and you've got the minimum standards, fine. But if you could have a real good ground, uh, a t- ten thousand capacity that could really add something to the Premiership, if you can prove you've got the money to. Ha- to buy in a decent side, then you should go up because they want contenders to go up. Mm. And there's been no contenders to go up for years. Well, I, I mean, it's going to be a, something that continues rumbling on, doesn't it? It's like there's never, <laughs> we never seem to get any sort of conclusion on this. But in terms of Derby weekend it's, itself, uh, some great games. I agree with you, Dims, and elements of it are manufactured. But I like the idea of it. I like that it's something that you can try and spin a, a narrative around. Anywhere we, we want to start, what about the Friday night? Bath against Bristol, a one-point win. In particular in that first half, Finn Russell putting Ollie Lawrence through holes, cutting Bristol apart in the midfield. Ended up being quite a, a close game. But you feel with Bath, and I know we've spoken about them a lot at the start of this season because the whole Finn Russell signing, but it does. It, it feels more positive, certainly, than it has done over previous years. It's funny saying that, though, because you speak to Bath fans, of which I have, uh, actually, my company's head office is down in Bath, and I speak to people down there every so often, and it's like, they've been stung so many times recently that even when things are going great... They don't uh, want to believe either, it. They're just sort yeah. of like, don't talk about it, talk about something else. <laughs> what I will say is, just before anything else, is what a start to the season Ben Spencer has had, what a leader he's been since he's he's gone to Bath, and just absolutely cracking start to the season for him and Ollie Lawrence I mean Ollie Lawrence and Cam Redpath and Ojomo really like the centre group that they've got there is really really exciting and when they get front football from the pack just looks great totally agree and I, I mean look I I love it when Finn Russell plays I mean sometimes coaches is, is sometimes his passes are either a try for for Bath or the try for the opposition. I love it when he plays. I love the way he plays, the smile on his face. And he was doing some stuff with Cam Redpath and, and Ollie, as you mentioned, Al, uh, that was just superb. They couldn't quite maintain it. There was a time when it looked like Bristol were going to come back. But it, it, I, you wouldn't mind watching the next five five or ten Brist- uh, Bath home games because with Finn there and Redpath and Ojomo and these guys, as you mentioned, Alfie, that they they could at last be emerging. And as for Bristol, I mean, another game where they did have some kicks to win it, but they miss those. Sometimes that happens. Pat Lamb afterwards said the negativity is just outside noise. Do you think Bristol fans are right to be concerned? Four defeats in a row now. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing. Four, four losses on the spin. The encouraging thing is how close it is, and I suppose that speaks to the nature of how competitive the Premiership is at the moment. It's interesting, and then we sent the next issue of Rugby World to, to press last Friday, and it's out next week. And in it, I've got a piece on just little... Speaking to a sports psychologist about little things that happen in a game, there's a thing called attribution in psychology, where, and it, it's specifically about people talking after matches and if you lose attribution tends to be but oh the performance was good or if you win but you haven't played well the attribution goes to ah but we got the result didn't we and this is one of those where what else is Pat Lamb going to say you know there's no negativity what I would say is my god the we've already spoken about it on this podcast this season the Sheedy Lane kick pass Fourth try of the season that way. Wasn't I mean, it? so it's, it's as good as sold every time it happens. Now, <laughs> I, I, I also think that Avakatawa um, is the sort of guy who's going to take a long, a, a few more weeks to get into it. He, he did some great things, and then he made some mistakes. Van Rensburg in the centre is another formidable player. So I, I think they'll be okay, but they do need to start winning. You know. Four wins is is uh, is you could say is careless. Five wins sounds really dodgy. So I I love the club, love the club. I always have done, and uh, you know God bless them. I love Pat Lamb, and uh, I'm sure they'll be back soon. Also on the Friday night, Sale forty, Newcastle twenty two. A final scoreline that is a bit deceiving. Seventy five minutes in, it was only twenty six twenty two that that Sale were leading. So Newcastle pushed them, but another defeat for them. It looks like they're probably going to be languishing at the bottom of the table for most of the year. Steve, based upon the evidence we've seen so far, they've got again slightly not write them off yet because changed coaches, changed owners, changed everything in the middle of the season. Newcastle have been known to throw together a decent run of results. So I hope, I hope you know. Look, we desperately need a club there. Uh, if Sale are the northernmost club, the Premiership's aspirations to be national uh, don't exist. So 
they're, they're wishing for the, the best and um uh, I, I know they've got a lot, lot of spirit there. I, I wouldn't write them off yet either. The thing about Newcastle is we spend so much time talking about the, the magic of the guys out wide. You know, Carreras on the wing, sadly they're going to be losing him. You know, a lot has been made of Adam Radwan and his talent and, you know, the way that he'll sort of... Where's he off to? Oh, right, he's gone that way and then he'll score a try. Like, that's magnificent. The thing that, that I'm encouraged a little bit about is when times are tough, it's great to see innovation. What I enjoyed seeing at the weekend was the chicanery at the line-out from... Falcons, they're willing to try things to try and generate tries from there. Yeah. It's not just a straight catch and drive, so I enjoy that. But soundly beaten in the end by Sale. And speaking to people in, in Manchester, is there's just a real sense of, you know, we're not, we don't want too much buzz about it, but things are going the way that we'd like it to be. And some things have gone unexpectedly better. One name that I've been hearing over and over again is Ernst van Rijn, who's playing six, is an absolute monster you'll see him in the official stats is leading tackles made but dominant tackles he is absolutely flying and by all counts I, I, I asked someone if he's like the water boy from the movie and that he's absolutely melting people and then he's walking around with this big goof, goofy smile on his face now they said it's not quite that case because he's a lot better than that but they said he looks like he's a competition winner he's absolutely buzzing to be there they picked him up from the Stormers he hadn't really been playing an awful lot over there and he is absolutely thriving at the moment and they're just like we've done our due diligence we knew he was good we did not know that he was this good and they said he is our dominant force at the moment he is just absolutely doing incredible things for Sale and they couldn't be happier with him so Sale have done a great job of picking up guys like that Luke Cowan-Dickey's another one in that okay if the Stars are aligned and everything went the way it was meant to be he should be playing in France this season but he's ended up where he's ended up and they say he's a breath of fresh air again sort of galvanises people and the idea that someone like Ernst van Rijn that no one really knows much about can be picked up for let's be honest on the cheap when we're talking about the finding value in places he's instantly gone into their leadership group he's been a huge force for them and Sale that's where they're picking up and little things like that that we might not have predicted at the start of the season could be the things that make the difference because they were so close last season mm. they needed to find something to get them over the line maybe it's the little things that people like us are, haven't predicted word that I was thinking of when you were talking about Sale was like identity it feels like there's a real identity yes. to, to that team marrying up all the things that you have touched upon there so another decent win for sale uh, East Midlands derby <laughs> now that is a derby that to is, be fair this is an actual derby that is a derby important Did. important win for the Tigers though wasn't it 26-17 they beat the yeah Saints. and I mean they've 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 had their their struggles at the start of the season you know I think, I think they're second bottom of the table still um, you know Andre Pollard looks like the same machine that we've seen Andre Pollard be just calm cool head do you remember there was a period where we weren't sure if he was going to be a good signing for the Tigers yes. remember his form yeah. wasn't great was it when no. they signed him and, no. and the conversation was kind of like oh is this good you know the amount of money he'll cost and then we've seen him come back into a World Cup squad be pivotal for South Africa winning a World Cup again and he's doing the job against he's, he's the kind of player though you could put a blindfold on him and you know how he's going to play it's really bankable and to be honest that's what that's what directors of rugby love set piece Phenomenal for them, and to be honest, that was probably the difference. You know, up front, they really battered Northampton. I'd just like to say, try to tackle Jasper Visa is probably like trying to catch a falling Steinway. Like, <laughs> just a grand piano falling on top of you, squashing you. That must must be what it's like, trying to tackle Jasper Visa. You know, up front, I was speaking to Chris Jones for the BBC, who commentated on that game, and he said, when Dan Cole came on for a scrum that was on the five metres of Northampton Saints, really under the cosh, it must have been like his Christmas. Mm. And that's just kind of what it felt like in that game. It's like Tigers, and this hasn't been the case all season, looked really in control of that game. They did. I also think that um, there are some promising plays in the Saints team, but mm. I felt that, that as a Mid East Midlands derby, you and I will have seen far more ferocious oh, East yeah, Midlands yeah, yeah. derbies than that. You know, I mean, they're, they're two, two decent sides. I think one will be just above middle and one, one will be contending at the top. But it wasn't quite the same animalistic East Midlands derby um, that, I, that, that, that you'd expect. And but, I think uh, that comes down to some interesting things. It tells you about the fluctuations of the Premiership as it is at the moment. Is Northampton Saints have looked really good up front in the scrum yeah. in previous games so far this season. In this one, they got battered. But what did Tigers do? with that advantage that they've got over. They don't quite look like they're clicking an attack yet, and it's not no. like they've got that advantage that they're they're cutting loose. Now, would you want to see a, an even more one-sided derby that is actually a derby? Of course we wouldn't. I agree with Steve. We'd, we'd want to see something that's got a li little bit more spit and bite to it. But Tigers look like they might be turning things around a little bit. Well, speaking of 
an actual derby which is much more one-sided, it brings us on quite nicely to Harlequins against Saracens. So Harlequins 10, Saracens 38. Now, this is a derby, Dims, because there is genuine animosity between yeah, these, bad blood these between two these teams. teams yeah. And actually, it is a game that you can always have quite a nice narrative around. In terms of competitiveness on the pitch, Harlequins don't beat Saracens very, very often. And once again, for Saracens to go in there to the stoop and... Steve, it was comprehensive, wasn't it? It was a late try at the end for, for Quinns as a consolation. It, but. it was. And in any derby, you always have, a, a even even a team that's dominant, the other team always has its 20 minutes or 15 minutes. Quinns didn't even have that. Mm. And I have to say that, that no, that, no, they lost um, effectively three players in, in three or four minutes, um, including key, key players, absolute key players. And you think, well, you know, these, these Quinns are going to cash in on this. On comes Ollie Hartley. I do follow almost all the clubs. I have to say I've not come across him. Within seconds, Ollie Hartley's got a try. A big lump, six foot four in the, in the centre. And you think, blimey, they've, they've magicked another one out of thin air. So they played really well. Uh, I've never seen a team cash in so much with the driving mall. Or, or rather, I've never seen a team concede so much with the driving mall. Three easy, easy drive-over tries. Uh, Owen Farrell was, was just... Wheeling the oil, uh, oiling the wheels, wheeling the oils, and um, really, really was every bit as bad, as big as the, as the score suggests. Al. Yeah, and there were, I mean, there were little things that stood out for me uh, that were quite funny. Is uh, Tom Willis going over for what looked like was going to be a try and then getting knocked off the ball, and all the guys on the bench <laughs> wetting themselves, <laughs> laughing at him. Um, but also, Alex Good's pass yeah. for that try was yeah. just you know on yeah. the hoof, full tilt, off balance. Perfect pass and Parton goes in in the corner and it's just that was just sort of the form that Saracens were in in this game like they were just on the run. I know they're not top of the table at the moment because they lost a couple of games when the World Cup was on and that kind of weird weird period before they had all their internationals. They're still the team to beat Saris this season. Absolutely, I, I, I just don't see it. someone someone's bound to come through. Tigers are bound to bound to improve, uh, but uh, you know if you look at the players who didn't play in the Saracens team. They, they they just got so much talent there, and they they got props there to to spare. I, I think they're going to take a heck of a lot of beating home just, or away. Again, we were talking about picking up of players that add value, like Gonzalez. As you know, you wouldn't say Saracens are in need of picking up a, a decent value number six uh, from a another nation that they, people might not know too well. Now, obviously, we know Gonzalez a little bit, but he's just been one of those guys that adds real quality yeah. to that. And it's yeah. to be fair. The Saracens in years gone by, when they lost a lot of test players, you'd be like, well, where's where's the other things coming through? They've made a really good effort this season of guys just putting their hands up and saying, well, you know, whether you think I'm a global superstar or not, I'm I, this system suits me perfectly. Andy Christie is a prime example of that. Totally. You know, totally. on the fringes of the Scotland squad, he has been putting in player of the match performances. Uh, it's two in a row, I think he's got now. And if you're going to lose someone who's as colossal as Ben Earl has been for Saracens over the last couple of seasons, to have guys like Christie already have put their hand up is really, really important. What we'll see now is... The adaption of Saracens, particularly as we head towards the Six Nations, you know, there's been a lot of chat of what positions people are, going, what numbers people are going to be putting on their back. Will Vunabola be playing in the second row, for example? There's adaption there, but if ever there was a team that's that's willing to try some things out, Saracens have, have sort of made a profession of that. And actually, on the Ben Earl injury, we'll wait and see the severity of it. Mark McCall said afterwards they expect to be without him for a while. He mm. pulled up in the warm-up. It looks like a knee injury. I mean, you feel desperately sorry for him, don't you? Particularly after the, the World Cup he had and how brilliant he was. Quite comfortably England's best player. We hope it's not too long, but we'll wait and see. Shall we move on to the final game of the weekend then? The Sunday game, Exeter 25, Gloucester 24. A one-point win thanks to a last-minute penalty, a last-kick-of-the-game penalty by Henry Slade. I felt so sorry for George Skivington at, at full time of this game, Steve. A Gloucester team who aren't been in a great place form-wise. You thought they had that game won and then Exeter were able to come back late on. What do you make of it? Where, what do you make of both the Chiefs and, and, I suppose, Gloucester at the moment? I feel sorry for George as well. I think he's a good coach. What I don't feel sorry for is Gloucester losing a game they should have, could or should have won for about the 18th match in, in succession they, they, they have got an awful lot which Gloucester never used to have talent, attacking talent brilliant wingers what they don't have is that old Gloucester mentality they lose far too many games and that was another one Exeter were nowhere remotely at their best you possibly say that Exeter 
possibly deserved it. But that was there for Gloucester, and an old Gloucester side would have bitten their hands off to win that game. They didn't. Yeah, there's an interesting one. Rob Baxter said after the game that the second half got away from Exeter, unforced errors, they surrendered momentum was the exact words that he said, ill-disciplined, questioning the referee, those sort of things cost them dear. And yet they did the job. And it's interesting because when we saw Chiefs in their prime, and you know when they were at their very best, and it was that that generation that they nurtured there and added to it. They'd be celebrating winning by one point because it would be their brilliance that did it. This one was a case of them clinging on, and they've got some incredible young talent there. And you know they're trying to build something else. We'll see. We'll see how they go through the season if there's any off pitch stuff that unsettles extra chiefs. But I suppose it's heartening for them. I talked about attribution at the moment. That's this is one of those prime examples of that from a psychological point of view where there was things that they could have done better but they got the result and yeah. inside the dressing room they'll be saying lads you got to smarten up you can't be doing this we can't be surrendering that might tentative we can't be mouthing off to match officials we can't do, be doing XYZ they still got the win and Gloucester must be absolutely kicking themselves yeah and it's something we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago when you were on Dims but the kind of Exeter rebuild where it almost feels like they're a little ahead of schedule but I look at someone like Daffy Jenkins being given the captaincy a young mm. guy in the second row and played really well for a lot of that game as well it still feels to me like it's a team that they're not perfect yet they're not necessarily at the heights that we saw them maybe a few years ago but actually in terms of the rebuild and some of the key players yeah. they lost they're in a pretty good they know space. who they want to inject time and effort into to try and to, write, to raise the standards and they, those those young players you'd imagine should do everything going well and all the evidence in the past with Exeter Chief shows us that this will happen is that they'll just get better I suppose one of the things that they'll want is for people like us to sort of tone down the hype a little bit like Faye Wabosu has had a phenomenal start to the season he's qualified for England and Wales and already we've reached that start of the season where a couple of wingers in this league I, you know, I mentioned Aaron Reid earlier mentioning Faye Wabusu now we're starting to oh, maybe they might be in the mix for, for England credentials if I'm of any part of these club I'd be like do not talk about that yeah. just let them yeah. crack on because they're enjoying the rugby and in Faye Wabusu's case smart lad studying medicine has, has moved to the university there to, to get into that just let this guy cook effectively but yeah, they they know what they're doing with talent like that. They'll uh, you'd imagine, hopefully, uh, Touchwood. If you're a supporter of them, you'll want them to use their rotation wisely, and that's one of the things that they're talking about. At other clubs is that are going really well. I mentioned Sale earlier. One of the things that they've discussed is these guys who are adding value. At what point do you give them a rest? And that's there's a real interesting thing with this Premiership, and goes back to what we we're talking about with the ten teams in the league. Is it's so competitive, but at what point do you rotate a little bit? Saracens in the past have been really good at that. Will they be good at that in the coming weeks when things go? Will someone like Leicester Tigers, who feel like they've maybe turned the corner, will they be trying to squeeze every last ounce of effort from their top players now? Which might be a very interesting conversation we have in a couple of weeks' time when we get to the Champions Cup and Challenge Cup, mm. and with the lower salary cap, how competitive. Can the Premiership teams be in that? Do we see them rotate there? Maybe I don't know, but I think there'll be a conversation to be had. Yeah, it's had an interesting talking point for it, sure. In a couple of weeks of of what they do there. Well, we'll park the the Premiership chat for now. Uh, next up, we'll look back on the Premiership Women's Rugby, the first match of the PWR on TNT Sports. Touch a little bit on the URC as well, and we'll name our God or Goddess of the week. So, Steve. First broadcast match for the Premiership Women's Rugby on TNT Sports. Fairly easy win for, for Bristol against Sale as we would have expected it to be. But what did you make of it? What did you make of the whole broadcast of the match on, on that platform? I thoroughly enjoyed it. This was a proper uh, TNT put up a proper team to, to, to cover it. And um, uh, thoroughly enjoyable. There was a crowd noise. There was atmosphere. Bristol were, were too good for Sale. Sale were by no means negligible. The, the effort, the passion... And also the organisation of Bristol was very, was, very, was very, very good. So I enjoyed it, and I think it's nice that there's, um, in fact, fantastic, if there's a live game on every week, I think hopefully they will slightly uh, change the kickoff times to so that you can watch the men's game and the women's game. I'm not saying that one of them's better than the other. But it was it, it, it was good. It's an, it's another step forward, and these these are salad days, uh, Alfie, for England because uh, they just come back off winning the the X uh, tournament. Yeah. And my God, they they gave the the C and two to everybody out there, uh, including New Zealand, and um, players coming through all the time. It's going to be a, a big run into the to the next World Cup, but uh, it's going going great. There's genuinely a feel that this is the right time for this to reach a bigger audience because. 
you speak to all sorts of players that are competing in this competition. Every single one of them, at least every single one I've spoken to, has mentioned the fact that it's like best players in the world are in this league. You probably couldn't say that about the men's premiership at the moment. There is, a, you know, we talked about picking up value here and there. In the, you know, PWR, everywhere you look, there's international talent. You know, we've got the captain of Canada who's like, okay, I'm going to re-sign with Saracens again. And my word, Saracens look like they were roaring again, beating Loughborough 48-7. And, you know, I suppose you could say that there's still... Uh, it's hard to say this after one week, but there's a, there has been in recent past a separation of the top teams and the bottom teams. If you are... I mean, Gloucester are defending their title when they finally get a chance to play. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they bring into the mix, but... Bristol battered Sale, Saracens battered Loughborough. I had a, a really interesting chat with Rachel Malcolm uh, the other week, um, Scotland women's captain who plays for Loughborough Lightning. And one of the things they said was, she said was that new coaching team there, Loughborough have always been good at playing on the hoof, but maybe they need to add a bit of edge to their team. So they've been trying some new training methods and that kind of thing. It remains to be seen. what Maybe that'll take a little bit of time to settle in because they were handily beaten by, by Saracens. But... Everyone's there's a sense of movement everywhere you look. You know things are things are changing. The sands are shifting. You know in a in a positive way. You feel okay. Worcester Warriors going. No that's one a shame, that. isn't it? That's yeah. a real that's Men- a real black mark. Mentioning Gloucester, Gloucester Hartbury defending champions, not having a game opening weekend because yeah, that that happen- is a real shame. And that's not great. And it's you know that's probably mirrors uh, the men's Premiership a bit in that you know top talent from those teams are signing for other teams, bolstering that. So maybe you'd say there's a higher concentration of of quality in other teams. But yeah, certainly it feels like the the, the start of something. It's just how we keep that positive momentum going. Uh, before sure. we get on to God or Goddess, just a quick mention of the URC Dims. Well, I, you know what? I just wanted to give a little bit of shine, as the kids say, to Sebre Parma, who had gone 28 game, games unbeaten. Uh, they won last week against the, let's be honest, woeful Sharks. They have had an awful start to the season, missing so many players from the South African national team. Um, and then, But then Zebri backed up that win last week with a draw 22-all against Cardiff. You know, Belisima, I believe they say. <laughs> uh, you know, just good to see, like, what, who you would say is traditionally the whipping boys there's a lot, lot of chat about you know how many wins can they ever really pick up in a season there's that sort of concentration of teams that tend to be at the bottom of the URC that have the same conundrum um, but just good to see them to turn it around Steve anything to add on the URC or I can't believe that uh, my Scottish colleagues missed this Glasgow and Edinburgh striding along I didn't think it was worth mentioning you know? it's oh, just no, uh, no, every no, week no, now no. isn't it no no, no 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 exactly no well I, I just thought I'd, I'd jog the memory I think they're going well I'm going up to see a Glasgow game in the next couple of weeks I'm really looking forward to it things are going relatively well uh, Glasgow are just continuing their fine form that they had at, at the end of last season you know try to build up there it'd be interesting to see how Edinburgh go now that Ali Price is there and that's an interesting one. It's also worth giving a mention to Connor. Connor, yeah, you know? started well, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. they started oh, really, yeah. really, really well. They've won by a point away from home at the weekend. You know, they they deserve credit for what they've done. Um, Dragons picking up a win against Ospreys is really interesting. But Munster, also, you just got to keep an eye on the way that they're going because what's happened there the last year. There's, you know, just to, for those that didn't really follow them last season. And I mentioned this on this this podcast before. The way that they won the title last year was madness. You know, five games away from home, winning all of them, including playing the Stormers in Cape Town to win the title, mm-hmm. just doing incredibly well. You know, there was scepticism when that new coaching team went in there, headed up by Graham Roundtree, and look how they've just kept it going. And you speak to people there in Munster and for them it's all about adapting and, and not trying to emulate what they did last season because how you couldn't create something like that in a lab ever again it's just about how you take that forward so 10-3 against the Stormers at home might not seem that significant but for them it's just sort of an underlining of what their project is Yeah and actually Munster if you look at defensively they make themselves a tough team to beat yeah. they haven't no one's oh, Well conceded. it's no surprise to anyone that's ever followed rugby that Toman Park is quite hard mm. to go to <laughs> Yeah, well, indeed. Let's finish off this week's episode then with God or Goddess of the Week. And Dims, I think I'm right in saying, coming to you with a bit of a tribute to Alan Wynne-Jones. Yeah, I just think, you know, okay, he's been garlanded so many times in the past. We've probably given him five different send-offs on this podcast alone. Uh, But, you know, a true titan of the game. Just that game at the weekend, uh, for those that don't follow the the top 14 as well, there were some interesting results there. Racing beating Stadio at the top of the table was a really significant one because that is a a Paris derby for a start. But 
Toulon haven't won at Claremont away since 2015. So they, they won at the weekend and it just so happened to be the game that Alan Wynne-Jones bid farewell to the sport of rugby union as a player forever. And after the match, uh, there was a quote from Sergio Parisi where he said, we played for Alan Wynne-Jones tonight and this result doesn't surprise me because we have players just like him. Humble, hardworking, he's a source of inspiration for our team. He's been there five minutes. Mm. You know, he's, you know he's, he's been there for hardly any time but... The quality of the guy as a player shines through, even though he's not at the peak of his powers. They've afforded him the opportunity to bow out there, and it doesn't surprise me that you see old warriors like Sergio Parisi turning around and going, look at this bloke. So I think, you know, we won't get a chance to laud his playing career again because that's his last ever game, so I just thought it was an opportunity to say Alman Jones. My, my my God is someone who I'm just trying to work out whether he was born when Alan Wynne Jones played his first game for the Ospreys. But um, England have a new star uh, in in my opinion. Uh, didn't play in a very good side, but every time I see him, he's improved and is improved. And I think that the successor to um, George Ford and Owen Farrell is Finn Smith of Northampton. I think he's looked be- he looked composed under pressure on the weekend. He's got a lot to his game. Everyone tells me he's a, he's a real good player. I've looked into his background and whatnot. And I think Finn Smith is a, a player to watch and the sort of player that we need to be coming through. Finn Smith, by the way, who going back to the discussion of eligibility, Scotland... I've seen he's been linked with Dims. I think I'm right in saying Scottish heritage. Well, listen, anyone that's got a name like Finlay, instantly we're going to have people <laughs> people snooping. Uh, but yeah, a phenomenal young talent. He's also I just have to say, having we've featured him in Rugby World in the recent past. He's yes. he's a very good talker. He's a very confident young man. Uh, not in an arrogant way at all. Just you know, he joked with us that people used to refer to him as who's that young lad that's chatting to Dan Bigger when he <laughs> when he rocked up the North Island. He's but, you know, he's a guy on the rise. All I'd say is the point I made about uh, Faye Wabusu and others is just like, just leave let's, him be. let's just let him cook. Yeah, yeah, agree, yeah fair agree, enough. Well, agree. mine was actually... I totally agree with that. I was going to go for... So last week on the podcast, I remember saying to Stuart Barnes that last week was a great weekend for fly halves in the Premiership. Mm. I thought this weekend was a good weekend for second rows. I thought Maratoje was excellent, has been excellent actually since, well at the World Cup he was good but returning as well. But I wanted to give a mention to Ollie Chesham in that he had a few really pivotal interventions in that derby Correct. against the Saints. He charged down from a box kick Alex Mitchell a couple of times which I think got in Mitchell's head because some of his box kicks from, from there on weren't always the best. He was stealing lineouts. He spoke in the mix zone after the bronze medal match at the World Cup of what it meant for him to be there. He had that awful ankle injury that he wasn't sure if he would be able to get to the World Cup but he to me seems like a guy I think that we're going to be seeing a hell of a lot more of in an international arena for England I thought he was very very good indeed so I go for Ollie Chesson but I think there's a few decent nominations there Stephen Dims good to see you both thanks mate <laughs> uh, we will be back next week next Monday on the Ruck to look back on all the action as usual make sure you are staying up to date with the times make sure you subscribe make sure you follow the podcast and give us a review as well but uh, we'll see you next week cheers Alfred <laughs> small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.